You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I'm joined again by Gene Henley. We welcome you in to another episode of the show. If this is your first time, thank you so much for listening and joining us here. This is your second, third, fourth, 20th time. Thank you for returning. We're very happy to have you back. We appreciate it. This is the podcast that talks all about Tennessee and Lady Vols basketball. I don't think there's another show out there that just talks exclusively about Vol hoops basically year-round. And Gene, I'll get to a little bit more in that second. But we're, we're, this podcast is year-old now. Technically, not this specific podcast. We started the SEC one around this time last year, and we branded this one, I think, in March of this year. But technically, you and I have been doing this for a year now, uh, so that's kind of fun. And it hasn't been the same thing the whole time, but still, I appreciate all of you who started with us at the beginning and are still with us here. So thank you so much for sticking with us in the rebrand, and thank you for being along for the ride. If you're new here, you can find us everywhere podcasts are found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere else you get your podcast, you can find us, subscribe to us, download the podcast uh, for sure. Follow us and like us on social media. We're on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever and on Facebook, Vol Basketball Fever on there. Gene, let's jump into the show here. We have a few things to talk about. I was going to do a roster review, but a few things kind of came up this week and I thought, you know, let's talk about this. We can, we can talk about the roster review a little bit later. That's not as time sensitive or anything like that. A couple of things I wanted to discuss here at the beginning of the show, another recruiting update because it's kind of more of the, I guess, top of mind type of thing right now for Vol fans looking at basketball. Tennessee is hosting, I think as most of you are listening to this because we're recording this on a Thursday evening. So most of you are probably listening to this on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, before or after the football game, possibly on Saturday. Um, but Tennessee is hosting five-star Kaysen Wallace on his official visit this weekend ahead of his uh, scheduled announcement, I believe, on November 7th right now is when he still has it scheduled to make his announcement. Um, but Tennessee is hosting him. And, Gene, I, I know we've talked about him a lot, and, I mean, for good reason, he's one of Tennessee's top targets in this class, in the 2022 class. Um but I also wanted to bring it up because I think it is worth noting that he, the other school, I guess the main school that you know we, we talked about, I think last week, maybe or two weeks ago, uh, that we think he's going to end up going to is Kentucky. Kentucky just got another five-star to commit to them in the 2022 class. They currently have three five-stars in the 22 class and are easily, you know, right now, still you know, early, right now easily the number one recruiting class in the country. Well, I say easily, but take it back. North Carolina is like right behind them in terms of points on two or seven. And then Duke has a couple of five stars and a highly rated four star committed to them as well. So maybe not easily, but still that's like looking at average ranking. The only team that even comes close to them right now on two or seven is Duke. Um, I guess UCLA too, but UCLA has what two commits. Yeah. Regardless, Kentucky has a stacked class right now. Chris Livingston, five-star shooting, or excuse me, five-star small forward, the number two small forward in the class, number six overall player, joins number one overall player, Shaden Sharp, and number 17 overall player, Sky Clark, in as commits in this Kentucky class. Again, Gene, I I hesitate to try to give, you know, to give Vol fans too much hope here. I hesitate to say that 
Hall fans should be expecting anything, uh, you know, expecting Case and Wallace to commit to Tennessee on November 7th. We're still, you know, a month and a half away from that even happening. But I, I'm just looking at this right now and saying, like, to me, the the class that Kentucky's pulling in, if I'm Case and Wallace and I see, for if you're looking for a, your playing time, Tennessee, can, I think, can possibly offer you more. I don't know the specifics of, of Kentucky's roster, you know, like looking at what they have right now, how many of those guys are returned for next year. But looking at what position he plays, he's a combo guard. He's a guy that's probably going to play shooting guard, though, at the next level in, in college. Uh, again, mentioned the last week, Kentucky already has a shooting guard committed to them in the class with Shaden Sharp. And then Sky Clark projects as a, a kind of a combo, but mostly I think of a, as a point guard as well. So you have two guys there that are at, at the positions you're going to play. And then you have a small forward who just committed who's a 6'6", 200 small forward. Gene, I, I just I just look at it as like, it's, it's the Vol fan of me speaking, but I'm, I'm thinking, hey, <laughs> look at Tennessee's roster, look at Kentucky's roster, who's going to offer you more playing time? But it's not always just about playing time. And you, you had to factor in the fact that it's Kentucky versus Tennessee, and we're not talking about football here. We're talking about basketball, men's basketball to be specific, because if it was women's, again, it'd be a different story. But it's not. We're talking about one of the most storied programs in men's basketball, especially the most storied program in the SEC in Kentucky. And then it, it arguably the n- number two in the last like 10, 15 years has been I wouldn't say it's been Tennessee. It's probably been, I guess, Florida because they at least have won national championships in the last 15 years. Tennessee hasn't done that, obviously. Um, but you're still a team that's been known in the SEC, but they haven't. They've made one Elite Eight. They've put some guys in the league recently. But Kentucky ha- and Calipari especially has a longer track record of that even. So I know, like, this is Duvall fan speaking to me saying, look at the playing time, look at the playing time, and look at who, who Calipari's bringing in. You know, why would you want to go there when you're more than likely going to have more playing time and be a you know more beloved and kind of a bigger star in Tennessee. But man, it's hard to compete against looking at the track record Calipari has of, even though a lot of the guys he's quote-unquote sent into the league would have made it into the league without him because they're just that talented and would have been drafted anyway. It's hard to like argue against that from a completely unbiased perspective saying, you know, it's Kentucky. Like it's all you had to say. Kentucky is known across the country. Tennessee, not so much in men's basketball. Yeah, and I think the bigger thing is, um, is it, it's easy to look at this as well. If you go to Tennessee, it's a better chance of playing. But like, there's the mentality of an athlete, especially when you get to that level, where you think you're better than anybody else that they've got. And so, if I'm, I know if I'm a top level prospect, you know. I'm going to prove I'm the best player on this team, even as other people uh, are there. I mean, don't look no further as far as what Kentucky's done in, in recent years than Tyler Hero, who was expected to be, well, he's just a shooter. He's just a shooter. Um, I remember watching a couple YouTube videos for this kid because um, I remembered that kid was going to Wisconsin. And the reason he decommitted from Wisconsin was because uh, the current head coach at UTC, Lamont Paris, left Wisconsin to take the UTC job. And he was the main guy that was on Hero. He's the one that recruited Hero to Wisconsin. Now he's obviously from the state, but so that kid goes to Kentucky. People think he's just uh, he's just going to be a shooter, four-year guy, blah 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 blah. 
and he turns into this little sensation that he had, you know, had a knack for hitting big shots. You know, you know, made his way into the lottery, had a great game in the playoffs in the bubble last year as a rookie. So um, there's a mentality that doesn't get taken consideration. I think a lot of times we, you know, a, a lot of people will look at this from their own practical thoughts. Well, you know what? I can play there. But it's why it's why the transfer portal is what it is right now, because you have kids who have you. Ha- I mean, to be that level of good, you have to have an irrational confidence about yourself. And that may take a year or two to kind of work itself out. But um, I don't. So I say all that to say, I don't think that I, I don't know exactly where Tennessee stands as far as where Casey Wallace is. Uh, but I do say that I will say that if he goes to if he goes to Kentucky, he's going there because he believes he's the best player there. Um, like if you ask 450 basketball players in the National Basketball Association, each and every one of them will tell you that they're the best player in the league. I mean, we can laugh at the J.R. Smiths and guys like that, but you don't get to that level without having a rational confidence about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that starts young. You don't just, you don't just nurture that when you're 23 years old, anybody that has been doing something for, you know, 19, 20 years of their life. And they're only like 25 or so years old. They're going to have a confidence. It, they've put in all the work. They're going to have a confidence that they can do this, that they can go out there and they can be the best each and every night. And it's why, like I said, I mean, you'll have people who, even if things don't work out, they'll, well, I didn't get my chance. I just need to go on. Which is why, like I said, that's why the portal is what it is. But um, I don't know exactly where it lands. Obviously, Kentucky's in the process of building another, um, you know, monster sort of class. I do find it interesting. I, I kind of laughed when you said it earlier. Um, Kentucky and Tennessee going head to head in a recruiting battle that's not football, and and it's almost unfortunate that nowadays Tennessee securing a recruiting victory over Kentucky in football is I don't know less likely than basketball. <laughs> I, I don't know. T- you know Tennessee football has lost a few recruiting battles to Tennessee or to Kentucky football. That is a good point. I mean, I hate to say it this way. I mean, I don't know. Unless I know this is a basketball podcast, but I don't really remember. I don't keep up with recruiting like that. So, I mean, before I get angry tweeted from egg avatars, whatever the case may be, let me say I, I don't keep up with it. But what little I've kept up, I, what little I've seen – you know, I've seen where Kentucky kind of is now, and I see where Tennessee is. And look, I root like anybody else that at some point Tennessee gets back to a sort of relevance in in football because you know my family was from Knoxville, so uh, I saw a lot of Tennessee football as a kid when I see them come back. But to see that Tennessee Kentucky has a basketball recruiting battle is so much more interesting than Tennessee Kentucky as a football recruiting battle. It's it, it speaks. I'll you know I'll frame it as it speaks towards positivity for what is being built um, in Knoxville as a basketball program because that's never been the case. And 
I think we spoke last week that I can specifically remember what two two like head to head battles there that kind of went Tennessee's way. I mean Vincent Yarbrough and I don't remember Scotty Hobson if he was down to just Tennessee, Kentucky. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't keep up with recruiting like that. I just I had intimate knowledge of the of the Vincent Yarbrough stuff, so I, I understand that one differently. But um, it's rare that Tennessee wins that. But just the fact that Tennessee – it's also rare that Tennessee's in this game. It, it's rare that Tennessee's in the final two, final three game against a Kentucky or Duke or, or one of these schools that has – that sort of reputation. I mean, people refer to them as blue bloods. I don't. I think that's kind of an overused term, personally. Um, but the fact that they're in this game, and I've said this last week, it may ultimately lead to missing out on guy A. But you know, it and it may get it may you may get guy A. But even if you miss out on them that gets you that much closer to B because people will say, you know what, I need to consider, um, I need to consider Tennessee. I, I need to consider that. Like when you brought up the Chris Livingston kid, think of all the positive publicity Tennessee State just got. He chose Kentucky over Tennessee State. Those were his final two. Not Duke, not Kansas, not Carolina, not Gonzaga, not any of these schools. His final two were Kentucky and Tennessee State. And I, there was a third that he technically listed as his final three, but that was a Kentucky-Tennessee State battle. So that's positive publicity that, that comes from that. And I think it's why a lot of those kids are doing it. And a lot of those kids that are, 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 are dropping HBCUs for the publicity, but it's not specific to that. If, you know, Casey Wallace comes down to Tennessee and Kentucky, that's, and he chooses Kentucky, that's positive for Tennessee because they've never been in this game before. This one. Like this. Like, they haven't been, they haven't been delving in there with the top people. Not like this. They've gotten no. top people. They've gotten them. I mean, Springer, Josiah, Keon Johnson, you know, like Yarbrough, all these sorts of guys, they've gotten those players. Robert Hubbs, uh, Scotty Hobson, you know, you can go on. They've gotten them, but they've never been in a flat-out battle. And that's where they are now. And again, mm-hmm. I don't look at that as a negative. I understand if he misses out, then Rick Barnes will be, well, why, you know, should have gone to UCLA. We can't, uh, whatever. And like, like there, there's no way to frame this other than the fact that you didn't get the guy that you're going for, but you lost him to. Yeah, look who you lost him to. A program that's not just—they're not the sort of UCLA relevant, you know. Like in terms of now, obviously UCLA's pretty good right now, but they don't have. I mean, Kentucky's relevant right now, and they're going to be relevant as long as John Calipari is there. And you're going head up with Calipari. You're not going head up with Kentucky. You're going head up with Calipari. Right. And on the court, I understand. Um, Barnes has had a success there. Um, but, yeah, now, like, the, if they can start getting a couple of these recruiting battles, getting into the battles, you know, maybe pull a couple of victories here and there, 
then that's going to speak a lot in ter- that's going to bode well as far as the long-term feasibility and the potential of of the Tennessee program because it's good but y'all listen man I've got I've had my questions and it, it's it's good the long-term you know prospects but I, I need to see some sort of vision before I truly buy in and um and I don't make apologies for that either because I just I just don't know I need to see what this year is I, I need to see more than two years under a, a different business model if if, he, if this works and now, now all of a sudden you're getting a lot of those kids and I think that's what you're wanting you're in more and more battles and you're winning more and more of these battles mm-hmm. and we've said it before this is a really important year for Rick Barnes it's also a really important year um, in a different regard for Calipari too it, it, and <laughs> I don't think he would you know get fired or either quit or anything like that after this year if he has a bad year but like this is a pretty important year for Calipari because they had a real, they had a historically bad season last season, and it's and he hasn't won as many titles as he should have, and all this different stuff for Kentucky. And it, I I know like Kentucky fans are restless about that, so I think another like disappointing year this year is only going to be another knock against him. Again, they're not going to fire him. He's, if if he I would be stunned if he stepped down even or, or you know left for the NBA or something like that. But still, like it's it's an important year for both coaches, and I agree with you. Like this is a this is a I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for here. It, it's it's important for Rick Barnes because, like you said, it's it's this would prove if you have a really good year this year, make a you know like a, a Sweet 16 run at least or something like that in the in the NCAA tournament. It would prove that that wasn't just a two-year fluke. That that wasn't just you hitting on the right guys at the right time and, and kind of catching lightning in a bottle. This was hey, we can do this with other guys too because this is a basically a completely different group that was no, that was in that 2019 team. Obviously, you know, Fulkerson was there, but Fulkerson's been here since the 1980s, so he, he, he's consistent throughout the whole program. Sure. But, like, he, he's the only holdover from that group, and we've talked about that before on this podcast about, you know, why fans are so drawn to Fulkerson, and, and there's a myriad of reasons, but that's that's a big one, that he's, he's the last remnant of the feel-good times a couple years ago when Tennessee surprised everybody and won a share of the SEC regular season title, uh, and was number one for a month. The next year, was a uh, was a high seed and made it to the Sweet 16 and played in a really compelling Sweet 16 game. And a lot of people think they you know, was stolen from them, and whatnot too. So, like he he's the last remaining guy on the roster from that era. And I, you know, I forget where I was going with all that now to this point. But to, but to your to your point there, I was talking about this being an important year for Rick Barnes. It, it, it would prove that he could have success with more than just that group. And, you know, and, and last year was still like it wasn't a failure of a year necessarily, but it was disappointing because the expectations before the season were higher, fair or not, than what the results ended up being. But, yeah, it's an important one for both Calipari and Barnes. And, like we, we said this last week and you reiterated it again, Tennessee hasn't been historically in many battles, period, head-to-head with Kentucky in recruiting and especially not in the John Calipari era they haven't been and the fact that they're in this one still is important and it's still even if they lose out on the guy they lose out on Casey Wallace as you said it's still going to be a good reflection on Tennessee that they were right there knocking on the door head head like neck and neck with Kentucky for this recruit 
even after Kentucky came in late and swooped in and you know whatnot. But still, Tennessee has a, a legit shot. And this weekend, I imagine they're going to pull out all the stops. I imagine they'll probably go to the football game, which it's Tennessee Tech. I mean, it's not like it's going to be an electric atmosphere <laughs> or anything like that. But hey, he'll get to see most likely a win and most likely a, a, a you know a blowout win against a, not a good Tennessee Tech team. I think they were what 0-2 and got shut out last week. I think so, and they weren't playing another, like, we weren't playing a Power 5 program, I think, last week either, so this should be an easy win for Tennessee, but, like, in football, but that's football. But I imagine, like, that's, he'll be at the game, imagine they'll, you know, show him all the stuff. He's been to Knoxville before, so I imagine that the, obviously, he's seen the facilities and stuff. I, I would imagine this trip is more about solidifying his feeling with the relationships with the coaches, because, uh, you know, different, the official visits, if you take multiple ones, are going to be different. The first one was probably showing the facilities and, just, and saying, hey, look, this is what we offer here. This is all this stuff. This is the campus. This is the city. You know, you know the coaches here, but we're going to show you all the stuff here that you'll get to see and take part in as a student athlete. The second one, he knows all that stuff. Like, and, and he knows that, you know, Tennessee is comparable to most of the other schools that he's seen. He's been to, you know, seen Texas. He's seen Kentucky. He's, uh, he's been to a bunch of the schools and talked to a bunch of other coaches. Like, he knows that the, the facilities at, at, in Knoxville are – on par with most of the other facilities across the, the country. He's not here to see facilities. He's not here to look at buildings and look at structures and look at arenas and courts and stuff. He's here, I think, this time to really hammer home, you know, his relationships with the coaches and maybe with some of the current players. And well, I'm not sure about all that with recruiting rules, but whatever. He, he's here for other reasons this time. So I imagine Tennessee's going to pull all the stops and do what they can to, you know, make him come away with this saying, hey, I feel better about my relationship with these coaches than the ones I have at Kentucky. If that's not the case, then Tennessee did what they could. They they swung hard and they missed, just like a, your power hitter going up. You know, look at Aaron Judge at the Yankees. You have him in the bomb of the ninth. I would imagine you don't want too many other guys up there other than him bomb the ninth, needing a big hit, needing a home run to win you the game. And hey, if he swings and strikes out, at least he went down swinging. If Tennessee strikes out on, on Case and Wallace, at least they're going to go down swinging. They're not going to leave the plate with the bat on their shoulder. So, yeah, we'll, we'll update on that. You know, I don't know how much we'll see or hear coming out of the visit this weekend, but if you hear anything, we'll talk about it next week on the podcast. But Tennessee is hosting Kaysen Wallace on an official visit this weekend, and he's making his announcement here in about a month and a half. The other main thing I wanted to bring up, Gene, is we talked, I want to say maybe a month ago or so at this point, but it feels like a while ago, kind of like early preseason expectations for the men's team and talking about kind of, you know, we think they're probably somewhere in that, like, 20 to 15 range, somewhere in there we think is fair. And, you know, this team's going to be, we, we think is going to be good and going to be better than last year and, and make improvements and stuff. Well, apparently Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon College Basketball thinks Tennessee's going to take a pretty good step from last year and, and be a pretty darn good team this year. He released his, uh, what's, he, what's he call it here? Because it's not preseason poll is it no I guess it is it's the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbooks 2021-2022 preseason top 25 it's written by the Blue Ribbon report a uh, Blue Ribbon staff um, but it's also I guess published by Chris Dorch who ball fans probably know is I think Dorch has been on like I want to say he's been on for example Tony Basilio's show he's been on other shows in Knoxville and stuff too so I imagine you know a lot of people listening to this probably know who Chris Dorch is anyway he released his top 25 preseason poll and Gene, I was surprised to see this when I saw the Tennessee Twitter account tweeted out. He has Tennessee as a preseason top ten team. They came in right at number ten. That is, that's I would say significantly higher than I thought they were going to be. That's at least like 
five, six, seven spots higher than what I was expecting to see. I think, for example, I think the Lady Vols were number 19 or 18 in a poll they tweeted out, uh, I want to say, er earlier this week, which is about where I was going to expect the men's team to be, too. But no, uh, Chris Dorch, of course, this is one poll. This isn't the AP poll, coaches poll. This isn't, you know, whatever. It, it's the Blue Ribbon um, basketball, which, again, that's not, that's not a, that's a, you know, well-known publication. But still, Tennessee number 10, here's a write-up on them. The Vols lost three players to the NBA, but responded with a top four nationally ranked recruiting class that is highlighted by point guard Kenny Chandler, but also infuses Coach Rick Barnes' roster with more length, rim protection, overall athleticism, and shooting ability than he's had in his previous six seasons. There's even a transfer who has freshman eligibility, Justin Powell from Auburn, who's a rangy 6'6 shooter who can also spell Chandler at the point. To top it off, beloved big man John Fulkerson returned for a super senior season, determined not to go out like he otherwise might have, missing most of the postseason after an elbow to the head in the SEC tournament sidelined him. This is a quote from Rick Barnes. People love him because he's so selfless, Barnes says. He's all about Tennessee, all about his teammates. He's a guy that never played for the name on the back of his jersey, but for the name on the front. Also, before I get to your thoughts on this, Tennessee is also sandwiched between two teams they could potentially play this season. Number nine is Purdue, who Tennessee could play in an early preseason tournament. Tennessee will play Villanova, Purdue will play UNC, and then winner loser of the Tennessee uh, Villanova game will play the winner loser of the Purdue UNC game. And number 11 is Memphis, who Tennessee will play in Nashville in a, we've talked about before, in a highly, highly anticipated game. Uh, just a couple other notes here. Number one is Gonzaga. Number two is UCLA. Three is Kansas. Four, Gene, is Texas, we talked about last week, and I'm sure you'll, you'll give some thoughts on that again, but Texas is number four, which as a team Tennessee plays. Villanova is number five. Again, a team Tennessee is going to play. Uh, that's a, a top five team that Tennessee is going to play, according to Chris Dorch. Number six is Michigan. Number seven. Kentucky, who we just talked about. And number eight, Duke, rounds out the top ten, because again, Purdue's nine, Tennessee ten. Memphis eleven, Arkansas thirteen, Alabama fifteen, North Carolina, who Tennessee could play, is sixteen. And you just scroll down a little bit further here, and you'll see Auburn at twenty-two and Mississippi State at twenty-four. Also a shout out to St. Bonaventure, who Chris Torch has at number twenty-five. But Gene, I you can kind of cover anything you want to cover. You can talk about Tennessee and Texas, Kentucky, Villanova, whatever. I saw you make a face when I said Villanova, a number five, too. <laughs> but I, I was genuinely surprised to see Tennessee ranked this high. And I, I personally think, again, this is September. We're still a month and a, you know, just under two months away from the season starting. I personally think this is a little too high to have Tennessee in the preseason. Maybe it's an indication of kind of the state of where college basketball is going to be heading into this season, kind of a, a lot of unknowns, a lot of you know, a lot of roster reconstruction across the country. You know, for example, the defending national champions, Baylor, number 12, because they lost four of their main players uh, from the season last year, uh, from, the, from their lineup last year, excuse me. So uh, it could be an indication more so of kind of where college basketball is, but I, I would have put Tennessee no higher than like 14, 15. Like I, I was genuinely surprised to see them at 10. I think the past... Um few years a lot of people have fallen in love with Tennessee uh, just because of their you know because of you know Barnes the story um, and, and so 
look, I mean, you and I, for maybe for different reasons, but you and I were very, very high on last year's team. Um, the country wasn't as high. I remember seeing, you know, 13, excuse me, 14 in the preseason or somewhere along those lines. And, but, you know, I, I think as long as, I mean, again, if you just simply look, and, and I, and I, heard what he said I mean what 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 Dorch wrote and if you just simply look they've got a five-star point guard they've got a really good you've got a really you know important player in Fulkerson um they got the Huntley Hatfield kid if you just simply look at the names um then I get it I, I completely understand how you do rank them. Now, obviously, Dorch being a guy from the area, I don't think that hurts. I'm pretty sure he's a professor um, at UTC right now. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Uh, I know he was. Uh, I don't know if he still is. Um, pretty sure he's an ETSU grad. So he's, like, all over. And, again, I don't say that to question Dorch at all because I think Dorch is great. I Man, that dude has helped me out tremendously over the years. Uh, there was I still laugh. There's some there was some pictures circulating on social media um, in the 2019 SEC tournament of the two of us um, sitting right behind Dickie V. Uh, I, I guess a bunch of people got screen grabs of the two of us. It, heck, it was my Twitter picture for the longest I was time. Say, wasn't that your Twitter fo- your photo for a while? <laughs> That's right. I think what well, there was two days and Dorsch didn't come the second day. So the second day was just me. But there I, I received like fifteen screen grabs of of the two of us sitting right behind Dickie V. And like like I've learned in just my conversations with him, I've learned a lot just from talking to him. Um so I don't want to suggest for a moment that he just has a certain bias or whatever. I'm just simply pointing out that he does have really strong East Tennessee ties and, you know, but I, I do understand just like I understand. I wouldn't be stunned if CBS sports had them had Tennessee pretty high um, for some of the same reasons, you know, yeah. you've got a guy, you know, like, you know, you know, Gary Parrish is from Memphis, you know, or he's from that area. I'm sorry. He, he works in Memphis. Let me be clear. Um, but obviously he's watched a ton of Kennedy Chandler. So I and so I I'm not surprised when I see when I see like a CBS report because he has more information on Kennedy Chandler than any of us. Mm-hmm. We may have watched a game, you know. He's more the type of guy who would, on a Tuesday night, you know, when Chandler was playing in Memphis, just go watch another game. You know, just go watch Chandler play somebody. We don't have that access. We don't have that opportunity. Um, so. A lot of people have fallen in love with Tennessee, and I get it. I don't know if they are. Um, I don't know if they're worth the hype. Uh, I do think that they're a good team. I think they have the potential to be a really good team. I look at some of these. I look at some of their, um, you know, the games their schedule. I don't know if Bama's ranked high enough. Like I got burned on Bama last year. And I just question, did they lose enough to just be 15 if Tennessee's 10? 
because I'm pretty sure Bama has a lot of key has a lot of key pieces back from last season. I know they lost 19th year senior uh, John was it John Petty, whatever is it. Yeah, John Petty and Herbert Jones. Yeah, like I mean, they lost two key players, but they had a lot of they they played a lot of guys. Yeah, and they're they're returning Javon Quinterly, Jaden Shackelford, and JD Davidson. Like those are yeah. three big names that are returning. Yeah, and, and didn't they pick up a freshman that was like really, like I want to uh, say yeah. I'm gonna yeah, look it up really quick. That's Davidson. Never mind. Okay, like uh, he was a freshman last year. Yeah. Okay, then no, there's somebody. I feel like they got somebody else that was. Oh, they picked up uh, my guy from Furman. Oh yeah, Noah girl. Uh, yeah, Noah girl. Um, but I, I'm just looking at. I don't know. I mean, well, and they they also picked up a five star with. Um, well, who am I trying to find here? It was yeah, it was JD Davison, but also Charles Bediaco was like a borderline five star center, also. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, Arkansas, uh, they had a lottery pick. And they lost a lottery pick. I mean, that's. But the way that that guy recruits, um, you know, especially you, the way he uses the portal, I don't know. I mean, that's. I'm looking here, you know, I'm, Bruce Pearl's talking about Auburn being a Final Four team. Uh, I don't know about that, man. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that somewhere along the way that he was. He thought they had the potential of being good on. They picked up the UNC transfer that Tennessee thought they had a good chance of getting. Um, yeah, I mean, Auburn but, had a good offseason. They did. Yeah, and so, I don't know. Like, you've got a schedule that's going to be tough, man. Like, I'm still not going to be as high on the Texas stuff just because just infusing all of that together doesn't seemingly works better in year two. Uh, and maybe, again, maybe that's just my, my own biases because you can't just simply build a program on transfers and I'm, and I'm sorry you can do it for a couple of years to be clear you can do it for a couple of years you can but I'm not going I'm not expecting any program because at some point that bottom's going to fall out you're going to have one bad transfer class you're not going to have any freshmen any underclassmen to kind of come in and build it up and then all, or all of a sudden yo you yo you build a program on transfers now you get a better job offer you leave and that program's in shambles because the next coach can't um, sustain what you've started or what you've built. So for me personally, I'm not a big fan of building something on transfers. I guess it's fine for a couple years or whatever. I guess. I mean, heck, Musselman surely hadn't had an issue doing it. Um, I can't remember Bama's coach's name, but he, cer- he certainly hasn't had much of an issue. Nate Oates. So, yeah, Nate Oates hasn't had much of an issue doing it. But so I don't know. We'll see about the Texas stuff. I'm not a fan of it. I think when you bring that many in your very first year, what are you trying to build? I don't know what you're trying to build. I don't think you're trying to build anything. I think you're just trying to win. And that that's just my personal opinion on it. Like I don't think you're. What are you trying to build when you've been at the school for six months and you've already brought in like what six transfers? Is what Texas brought in or seven? It was a ridiculous number of transfers. Like I think you might list them all here. Let's see. Uh, let's see here. Added four of the top 16 ESPN transfers. Marcus Carr from Minnesota. Timmy Allen from Utah. Trey Mitchell from UMass. Christian Bishop from Creighton. They also got Dylan DeSue from Vanderbilt and Devin Askew from Kentucky. So that's, yeah, it's six right there. Six transfers. 
you have in theory what I'm assuming that they didn't bring you know that they didn't have any of those kids who were seniors who chose to come back. So what you're saying is out of 13 available scholarships, six of those kids are brand new, six, and they're only going to be there for however many years. Because look, man, being a ba- being a college basketball player is like being a quarterback. If you're good, you're not staying the entire time. You know, like you're, you know, you're looking at this as a two, you know, for quarterbacks, it's three years, uh, you know, for, you know, and obviously in basketball, you're just having, looking for that one good year. You're trying to cash out. So like, if you want to do it, you know, like I look and see what Tennessee's done. They brought one or two in a year, but I think a lot of coaches understand that you just can't build a program that way. And so that's why I'm not going to be high on, on Texas until they go out and prove it. And what's still a really good basketball league? I don't know what Texas Tech is going to be. I think they're going to be at least decent. Kansas is going to be Kansas. Kansas State always seems to be a headache for somebody. Baylor's def- defending national champions. You know, Oklahoma, we'll see. I don't expect much because I'm pretty – I think Long Kruger retired finally. Um I think I heard that, or maybe not. I could be Let wrong. Me double check. Yep. Yeah, I just retired. Podcast listeners, like what I do is I basically just pose things as questions, and I make Nathaniel do all the all the hard work while I just ramble. Because so, he's answered like ten questions since I've uh, yeah he uh, he retired after this year. You're right. Okay. Um. And so I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma State doesn't have Cunningham anymore. I don't remember what else they had, but it wasn't like they were a juggernaut last year. But that's still a pretty it's still a pretty at least solid league and I don't know man like I don't know like I know that Tennessee has a really good schedule I I can't speak much on you know the competition level just yet because I'm just a person who really needs information first and when we get closer to the preseason I'm pretty sure when we get into the actual preseason when they're practicing in October, then I'm pretty sure that we'll have our preseason prognostications and predictions and stuff. But I'm not a person who really loves that because I need information first. I can't just spitball. I, I don't do a, I don't do a good job of like just spitballing, you know, predictions for something. If uh, and once I see it, I, I'll know a little more. Like once you see what that ten, I mean, how Texas looks. Uh, or how Tennessee looks, but it, it feels it feels to me that I have no person I have no problem with where Tennessee is. I have so much more. I have such a bigger problem with Texas because it was just last year that you know Kentucky was out here celebrating the addition of the big kid from Wake Forest that was going to be eligible and made them uh, t- made them a top five team. And all we heard about was how B.J. Boswell was a preseason first-team All-American. Um, hey, you picked uh, that transfer to be the SEC Player of the Year preseason, too. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Fair. I had good reason. I, no, I you said, did. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I said, yeah, if this team is going to be good, it's going to have to be led off, led by this transfer. Otherwise, they're not going to be great. No, I thought they'd be a whole heck of a lot better than 9-17 and 17 or whatever they were. But yeah, I mean, I did, and I and that was I, I had sound reasoning. Now he didn't he didn't <laughs> he didn't live you know nearly live up to the expectations that 
I think Kentucky fans bestowed upon them. Um, and as a result, the team did. The team kind of just fell apart. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure this thing out with Texas. But I'm going to need to see that mesh quickly. I'm going to need to see it mesh quickly before I sit there and say that they are worthy of being a preseason top five team in the country. I just don't see that, and it's hard. It's going to be hard for me to ever. Get there. They could win the national championship, and I'd be like, "Man, I don't think they're the fourth best team in the country. I don't think they're a top." <laughs> I'm just going to be that dog in the, on them. Like I, I, everything that they do, I'm just going to, I'm just going to troll. I'm just going to. I don't see it. Beat somebody else. Uh, okay, you beat Oklahoma once. Beat them twice. Oh, you lost to Tennessee. Okay, welcome to the SEC. Kind of like what <laughs> Arkansas did to him last week in football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean his 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 write up here, or not? I guess again, I shouldn't assume this is all Chris Dorch because it was written technically by the staff. But the write up here on Texas says after Shaka Smart left for Marquette, there was no other choice to coach the Longhorns than Chris Beard, who played at Texas and had built a reputation as a quick fixer upper at Little Rock and Texas Tech. Within weeks after taking the Texas job, he showed why Beard and his staff put together what might be the best ever transfer portal recruiting class. Every year, ESPN.com produces a credible ranking of transfers, and the Longhorns nabbed four of ESPN's top 16. Number one, Marcus Carr. Number four, Timmy Allen. Number five, Trey Mitchell. And number 16, Christian Bishop. Texas also signed number 23, Dylan DeSue, and number 30, Devin Askew. Those battle-tested newcomers will team with holdovers Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey to get the Longhorns a surprising NCAA tournament washout under Smart's watch into a team that has a chance to advance deep into the tournament. So I mean, to your point there, yeah, that's God. That's a lot of transfers. I mean, we we we've seen it work to an extent with you know, like you said, with guys like with teams like Arkansas, with Alabama, kind of. That was more. I feel like they they had a decent amount of transfers too, and I think they're going to have again. They have a, a decent amount this year too. They have a couple big names that they brought in, but yeah, that's gosh, man, that's like you said, that's six guys who are going to be starting or playing significant minutes off your bench as. They've never played together. None, none of those guys came from the same school, unless they, unless they played together at like AAU or in high school or something like that. Th- those are guys that have never played together, and you know, in 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 their lifetimes, and they're all going to all of a sudden be asked to come in and play. It's not like you're bringing a bunch of freshmen and stuff to play together, and they haven't they've never experienced college basketball before. I, I guess I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting to see what Texas does. How. You know, do they stumble early? Do they mesh together as the season goes on, or do they have a Kentucky-like season where they never figure it out? Like, or like I said, do they have an Arkansas-type season where they have a few stumbles early, but by the time we get to February, March, they're clicking on all cylinders and looking like a, a really, really good team? I don't know. That's going to be interesting. Villanova being number five is also in- interesting to me. Kentucky being number seven, not a surprise. But I was going through this while you're talking, Gene. I think if I counted correctly, Tennessee on their schedule. Obviously, they'll play either Purdue or UNC, so I count that as one, not two. I think it was like eight or nine of the top 25 in this poll are on Tennessee's schedule because obviously you have all the SEC schools. Tennessee's going to play at least once. You're playing in Kentucky twice. Um, but Mississippi State's on there, obviously. Auburn's on there. Um, North Carolina slash Purdue's going to be on there. Alabama's on there. Arkansas's on there. Memphis is on there. Uh Texas and Kentucky. No, I said Kentucky already. But Texas, Kentucky, and Villanova. Like th- those are all on Tennessee's schedule. We talked about it, I think, last week. 
about how difficult Tennessee's schedule is, but like putting just putting that right there on it, looking at who Chris Dorch and Blue Ribbon has in their top 25, like that really hit home to me. It's like, goodness gracious, that is a difficult, difficult schedule for Tennessee this year. And that alone, like we mentioned last week, their record may not be a complete indication of how good or bad this team is just because that's a tough schedule, man. Like you, you could come out of here with nine, eight, nine, ten losses and have a string of the schedule like in the top 10 in the country and have like a, a you know a net or rpi whatever in the top 15 because or top 20 because you just have played so many good teams again that's assuming things pan out some of these teams are not going to be as good as preseason rankings are indicating some teams are going to be better because that's just how it is the preseason rankings are never 100 percent accurate they're never even like 75 percent accurate or 66 percent accurate they're, they're always teams that are going to under and overperform some teams will perform about where you're expecting, but most of the time it's 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 not super close to what we're expecting preseason. But just looking at the preseason stuff right now with rankings and this one and a few other kind of power ranking stuff, like it just really nailed home to me that, that Tennessee's facing an extremely difficult schedule. And I again, as long as they stay healthy, I agree with what you said last week, that it's going to prepare Tennessee you know, come postseason time. At least it should, in theory, prepare this team for postseason time. It's going to be good for these young guys to get battle-tested early, uh, you know, like the Kennedy Chandlers, the Huntley Hatfields, um, and, and those guys. Getting, and even Justin Powell, because he, again, he's still basically a freshman. He played 10 games last year and only got to play against, he got, you know, played against some good teams. He played against, uh, what, Gonzaga, played two SEC teams, and one other really good team that Auburn played in the non-conference so I'm forgetting who they played now but he played against some good teams but still like he played 10 games he didn't even play half the season last year so it's going to be good for him too to get back in the swing of things and playing some really good competition early on so I just man I, I again I think it's interesting to have Tennessee this high because I don't know that they're going to be voted that high at the end of the season because I don't know that their record's going to warrant that because they're going to play some they're going to play some tough just tough stretches on their schedule, period. So, and, and, yeah, go ahead. You know, I'm, look, man, we are a Tennessee basketball podcast, but I've taken the time while you were talking because this whole Texas thing is just kind of just bugging me now. <laughs> and I hadn't thought about it really until I kind of started talking and thinking about actually listening to a couple of things I said. So I did some research, six of the top 31 prospects. Here's my problem. Not a single one of them knows anything about winning. So let's look. The uh, First of all, Marcus Carr. This is third school. Played at Minnesota, played at Pitt. Not a lot of winning at either one of those places. Last time I checked, played for some, you know, some good coaches in Richard Pitino and obviously, uh, what was it, Capel? I think said Pitt. So then I, I go for who's at Pitt right now? Timmy Allen, the number four rated prospect, um, was played at Utah. Who was twelve and thirteen last year? Trey Mitchell. With all due respect, played for Matt McCall, who I covered when he was at UTC. Uh, Trey Mitchell played at UMass, um, who I th- was a below 500 team this past year. So then I keep going. Christian Bishop, he knows a little bit about winning. He played at Creighton, you know they they know about winning there. So one out of one out of four right now. Then we keep going. 
Dylan DeSue, Vanderbilt. I don't even say anything else. So sixth, Devin Askew, who was the starting point guard of the worst Kentucky team of how long? So, so we're going to throw a bunch of guys who aren't accustomed to winning into a situation because they've got experience. I'm just not doing that. Now, th- these kids could turn into a good team. They truly could. Like seriously, they could they could seriously turn into a pretty good team. But based, I mean, but the parts, like, because I guess that's the part that I'm looking at more is are you worthy of this ranking? I can look, I can buy, I can talk myself into the Tennessee stuff mm-hmm. because they've got guys, they're infusing some pieces that have been a part of winning. Look, Fulkerson, part of winning. Josiah James, that was an 18-win team last year. He started on that team. If he didn't start, he was the first person off the bench. They've got guys, Viscovi, who's, who have been a part of all of that winning. Yeah, and Victor Bailey, who, again, was part of that team last year and won at Oregon when he was there, too. Yeah, Victor Bailey. Like, you know, Victor Bailey played an NCAA tournament and an NIT. So I just, like, those are guys that I can talk myself into understanding the ranking because they know they know what it takes to win. They do. Now, look, I mean, I understand if you drop Matthew Stafford into a ramp situation where everybody's good and everybody's accustomed to winning – that Matthew Stafford, who was always a pretty good quarterback, will figure out how to, you know, join a winning program, a winning franchise. But look, I guess Chris Beard is betting on Chris Beard being the program and everybody learning from him. Maybe that works. But it just I just feel like you typically have to have some guys in the program. It's why when we go back and talk about some of these other teams, the teams, you know, when we talk about some of these Kentucky one and done models or the Duke one and done models how hard it is to win when you don't have guys who have been in that program who understand what the coach wants and understand how to win. That's why I think Alabama may be a little too low right now. Maybe Arkansas is a little bit too low. They've got some guys in that league. I mean, I can, look, I can buy Tennessee being exactly where they are. You know, if you, if, if you want to tell me they're 15, all right, I'll buy that. If you want to tell me they're 10, I'll buy that. I don't think I could see them much higher than that. Um, not to mention the basketball rankings is a crapshoot anyway. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm about to I'm about to prove that whenever I start my dynasty with UTC on NCAA basketball ten, which I, I just got in the mail the other day, and I'm really excited about starting my franchise, my dynasty on my Xbox 360 here soon. As soon as I get the power cord. Um, I will show that rankings mean very little when <laughs> TC mock mocks go all the way to a national championship without being ranked at any point during the year. But yeah. but it's look man, all jokes aside, it's one of those things where I get it. We do basketball ranking preseason rankings because we want to build excitement for games, preseason games. But a lot of the younger teams are trying to figure stuff out early on. Texas is going to be one of those teams that has to figure some stuff out early on. Maybe they turn into something good. I don't know. I, again, I have my doubts, but I'm allowed to have my doubts at this point because I have no information that suggests like that these are that these are good players. 
I have information that suggests they're good prospects, and those aren't the same thing. Uh, I have nothing that, you know, Devin Eskew is a good player in high school. He has some good moments in college. Trey Mitchell was good in the A-10, um, but that was not a good pro. That was not a good team, and he hasn't been a part of a good team. Uh, Vandy, come on, move on. Uh, just, just move on there. And then the other, the other two guys, like I said, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't include the Creighton kid in there because he's seen it. Maybe he becomes the leader of that, but I just don't see it that way. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I just that just bugs me because I just don't see. I can see where you can you can talk yourself into a lot of rankings, and yes, six of the top 31 prospects sounds really nice, but if a college basketball program um, had nobody of note coming back and brought in six of the top 31 freshmen in the country, I would have the same questions because who's going to with a brand new coach? I'm sorry, let me add that. Uh, because who do you look for? Who do, who do you look to that understands how the program needs to be run? It has to be run by players, not coaches. It it, it just does. And look, these kids have had plenty of time to you know infuse themselves and you know grow together and develop friendships. And I think you said earlier maybe there's some AAU connects there, but it's just very hard for me to get on the same page as far as that's concerned. I, I just, I can't, man. Like, look, I, I would love to uh, because that game, in theory, looks like it could be really good in the end of January. And maybe it is. Maybe you've got number four versus number 10. You quite possibly have two of the top 10 teams in the country playing. But I think it's more likely that Tennessee is number four at that point than than Texas being 10. I, you know, that's... <laughs> the more we're talking about, the more we're convincing me that maybe I should be buying more into Tennessee being a rank where they are. But I, I, I think you made some good points. And you also, I think, brought up a really good point, too, that it's not just bringing in six guys and four or five of them have not been at winning programs. It's the fact that you also have a first, not first time, you have a new head coach, excuse me, in his first season at the program. If you look at just in the SEC examples of the guys who brought in transfers and had a lot of success past year with um, Arkansas and Alabama, both those guys, Nate Oates and Eric Musselman, were at least into their second season. They had a, a year, and granted it was the COVID year, but they had a year to establish themselves at the program and, and kind of get things, their culture set and stuff there and and be there for at least a year. Granted, that's still not a long time, but it's a year. That's a year that Chris Beard hasn't had at Texas, that's for sure. I guess at least he's been in the state, but still, you, you, that's a good point that you brought up, too, that I hadn't, like, that to me, like, nails it home even more that I think Texas is being overrated, possibly, at the beginning of this preseason, that it's his first year there, bringing in all of these guys, and he hasn't had time to establish anything there yet. He, look at Baylor, too. Scott Drew's been there forever, and they brought in a lot of transfers the past couple years and, you know, finally now having the success. But, like, he's been there for a long time. He's not – he wasn't a first-year – or first-time coach there or you know, at his first year of this past year and then won the title and stuff. That He'd been there for a while. So that's a very good point. I, I, I think that's a, a very good one. Again, I think that game's still obviously going to draw a lot of attention, but I'd, I'll be very intrigued to see where both these programs are 
in late January when they play each other and when that, that g- time for that game comes. I think that'll be uh, very interesting. But I think that'll also be where we end this podcast here before Gina and I both go on more rants about UT, both UT schools here. So we'll <laughs> end the podcast here. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. Again, if it's your first time, whether it's your 15th, 30th time, we really appreciate it. And thank you all so much for listening. You can share the show, listen, uh, give it to a friend to listen to, whether they're a Vol fan, if they're just a college basketball fan in general. We'd appreciate that a ton. So thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Follow us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever. <coughs> like us on Facebook. Excuse me. We're about Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. You can find Gene and I on Twitter as well, and you can just search your names. I'm Mr. Underscore Rutherford. He's Gene Henley 3 on there as well. So you can follow us if you want to on Twitter too. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode 